The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at republicen.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson. Listeners, we are halfway through season four. This is episode 10 of a 20-episode season. And wow, time is flying by fast. Thanks to everyone who has suggested a guest and has even taken the extra step to connect me to said suggestions. In fact, today's guest came via request. As a boy, Byron Komenich spent summer vacations on his family's farm visiting his grandmother. After graduate school, serving in the Peace Corps, and working as a U.S. diplomat for the USAID, he returned to the farm wanting to learn how to make most of his family's land. That path led him to solar energy and how agriculture can be integrated within a solar array. Now his grandfather's memory lives on through Jack's Solar Garden, a family-owned social enterprise working for the betterment of their Colorado community. Through partnerships with the National Renewable Energy Lab, Colorado State University, and the University of Arizona, Jack Solar Garden puts valuable research into the public sphere on co-locating solar panels with agriculture, called agrivoltaics. And if you are a longtime listener, you may remember that we had a graduate student um, speak about agrivoltaics a couple seasons back. Anyway, today, Byron is going to share his life experiences that led him to found Jack Solar Garden, and he's going to extol the virtues of agrivoltaics coming up next. But first, this week's quiz. As you may have heard, we are moving these questions up to the top of the episode so that you know what to listen for. This week, name a country that Byron once lived and worked in. Submit your answers at republicen.org forward slash quiz and cross your fingers. Winners from correct submissions will be drawn at random for a chance to win. So stay tuned and keep your ears alert. I'll be right back. Welcome back, listeners. Here I am today in conversation with the founder brains behind Jack's Solar Garden. Byron, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. So I thought that you could start off by just... Um, giving our listeners a little bit about your background and and what led you to where you are today. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I, I would say my my background is uh, an engineer by training, but I never got to use it because I got out of grad school during the um, uh, 2008-2009 turn uh, economic turndown. So uh, I joined the Peace Corps before graduate school and people kept offering me jobs to go back to Africa to work on international development projects. So that's where I spent a career and uh, it culminated with me uh, as a diplomat working for the U.S. Agency for International Development in Zambia and Mozambique uh, doing forestry and wildlife conservation. And when I kind of got tired of living overseas and wanting to see about how I could make an impact in my own communities, uh, decided to close shop up and move here to Colorado in 2016. And that's when I started down the path of creating Jack Solar Garden. 
Well, I definitely want to hear about Jack Solar Garden, but I would love to know a little bit more about that um, kind of development work that you are doing in Africa, which is a a piece of your background that I didn't know. Um, And we actually have someone on who used to be on our staff who who did similar work early in his career. And I just I I feel like I I tried really hard when I graduated from college, also during an economic downturn to find a way to go abroad and, um, you know, tap into some knowledge or expertise that I didn't know I had. And the Peace Corps rejected me and then Teach for America rejected me. And I mean, I'm Gen X, so I'm, you know, basically like the redheaded stepchild generation. (laughs) And so I'm just fascinated, like what kind of stuff were you doing there? And then we'll we'll pivot, but I would love to know a little bit about what you were doing there. Well, if we're going to throw generational labels down, I I was probably one of the first millennials. Um, But uh, yeah, it, it I'd got a, uh, a, I guess, akin a to traveling overseas with my mom taking me to Scandinavia when I was in fifth grade. Uh, I think my mom and dad were having a hard time and, and uh, she decided that she'd get away. And I really wanted to go see where the Vikings were for some reason. And, <laughs> right. and she was you were in fifth grade, it. Vikings but, were cool. I was like, you know, they got horns on their head. That seems yeah. awesome. Um, and then obviously never saw anybody with horns in their head because that <laughs> doesn't happen. Um, but that got me into the interest of, of being overseas, seeing other cultures, hearing new languages, learning something about these. It was, it was so exciting. And so uh, through college, I kept going to um different countries and and learning about the different ways people were doing things and decided to join the Peace Corps after I graduated with an engineering degree. Went to West Africa as a, uh, in Cameroon as a a high school teacher for two years in the jungle, then came back to an environmental engineering master's degree and then bounced back to Africa with uh, first working on a research project in Ghana, then with Doctors Without Borders in Ethiopia and and then over to Haiti, and then uh, with USAID in Zambia and Mozambique. And that was the, that's the culmination of it, where I got to use all the years of experience of working with cross-culturally, interdisciplinary, um, within governments to figure out how to do uh, interesting and, and long-lasting activities with taxpayer dollars. So it was, um, yeah, I, I think I had about $5 million of taxpayer dollars annually to work on forestry management projects in Zambia. And and it was awesome getting to hand out the funds to uh, uh, local organizations that were really striving to make an impact on, on bringing livelihoods into the forests while also conserving forests. Well, and I think that that is something that is important to note that, um, you know, the federal, the U S federal investment in foreign nations is important and is, you know, sort of contributes to the overall, um, health of the planet, when you have healthier ecosystems and, and people with better jobs all around, you improve public health, you improve education, we all are lifted up. So these programs, I think, are are really important. And um, that's fantastic. Doctors Without Borders is my sort of go-to um, charity that I donate to during times of, of um crisis, which uh, seem to be all the time now. Um, <laughs> let's pivot back to, so were you from Colorado? Is that what made you decide to come back and root down in that state? Well, Not state. so much. No. Uh, I, I grew up in Northeast Tennessee. So Johnson City out that way for your listeners. Um, my mom grew up out here. And so my folks met in college at, in Fort Collins at Colorado State University. Mm-hmm. And then 
dad had a petroleum engineering job that bounced him around the country for a decade plus. And that's how we found our way out into Tennessee. But my, my grandparents have the, or they purchased the land uh, in 1972, uh, Jack Stingery, who Jack Sullivan is named after, um, did that with my grandmother, Grace. And then now my mother, Eloise, owns the land. All right. So you answered my question. The Jack in Jack Solar Garden is not you. That's grandpa. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I get a lot of phone calls like, can I speak to Jack? I'm like, I'm sorry. He died a long time since. Yeah. So like, that's going to be hard. <laughs> All right. So what does Jack Solar Garden do? Um, Jack Solar Garden is, is first and foremost a, a solar power plant. We provide clean energy back into the grid and our community in Boulder County appreciate that. So that's number one. Uh, number two, to be able to sell our electricity at a premium and, and get people on board with what we were doing. Uh, we incorporated a lot of different partnerships into making our site more interesting, uh, not, not just for myself and for our researchers, but hopefully for the community at large. So we work with the National Renewable Energy Laboratory Colorado State University and the University of Arizona to study microclimates underneath our solar panels. And we changed our solar array ever so slightly to make it even more interesting for them. And the way we did that on, on four acres of solar panels, instead of having them at the normal height, which would have been about four feet where our torque tube would have been, we elevated them up to six feet for two thirds of our property and then elevated it up to eight feet on one third of the property. So we have one one type of soil we're in one climate yet we have two different heights of solar panels creating two different types of microclimates and we are uh last year we just started studying what these differences are and we'll continue to study that for the next handful of years to be able to share that with folks well i was just going to ask what would be the difference if you were something that was growing under um the solar panels at the four foot six foot or eight foot level but maybe you can't answer that for a few more years I, I can share a little bit. Um, <laughs> imagine you're a corn stalk, how tall those get. You're not yeah. really going to want to be at, a, uh, at trying to grow underneath four feet, uh, especially if uh, people don't want you to shade their solar panels. But at an eight foot level, you might be a little bit happier. Um, so the heights of different plants of, of how tall they grow is, is important. Uh, if you have really low level uh, solar panels, then you're thinking about what types of leafy greens, uh, your lettuces and uh, maybe cabbage and mescaline mix that could grow in that space or, or even carrots that they just have a, a stalk that comes out maybe a foot off the ground to the higher up you put the panels, the more, the, the taller um, vegetation that you can grow or even the larger animals. Um, if you put the panels up high enough, you can have cows out there. I mean, that, I think that's the holy grail for agrivoltaics moving forward, not to cut to the chase on all this, but no, let's cut to the chase. I love we got, it. <laughs> we got, uh, I think the vast majority of, of ag land in the U S is cattle ranch land. And if mm -hmm. folks want to have more solar, you gotta, you're going to be using up some of that cattle land, but we also still need our cattle. So just figure out how to do it together. And cows like shade. I always see cows out hanging out underneath the cottonwood trees in the middle of the summer because that's where the only shade awesome. is. Yeah. And if you have solar panels up there, they can do just fine. And there's been research that comes up. Sorry, I keep going. But no, no, no. Uh, there was research that recently came out from uh, uh, Temple University about how with 45% extra shade, a lot of the forage grasses, uh, your Timothy, brome, alfalfa, orchard grass, those were still, those even did better than when they were exposed to the open, uh, open full sun. 
Mm-hmm. So there's uh, there's these different synergies that a lot of folks don't know about, but they're there. I was going to say what this sounds like to me, and I live in an urban setting where mixed use development is, you know, sort of a buzzword that we think a lot about. I have a development going in in my um, in my town, probably a mile from my house that's going to have a little of everything. But this sounds like sort of the rural version of mixed use. Right. So you have um, whatever your um plant crop or maybe livestock or something, but you're also generating power from the solar arrays, right? Do I understand that correctly? Yep. And so Jack Solar Garden, do you install these for people or you have your own land? Like how, what is your connection to- What do we do? Yeah. (laughs) So uh, Jack Solar Garden is just the electricity side of things. So we sell electricity. Um, We have a number of partnerships with folks to make our land more interesting so that Mm -hmm. uh, we can help to showcase what's going on in our land through our nonprofit uh, we created the Colorado Agrivoltaic Learning Center that provides tours to folks on a weekly basis uh, throughout the growing season. And then if people want special tours, they can sign up for those. And we'll hopefully be working with more policymakers and, and government folks that are trying to figure out the regulations behind it because they're going to get involved at some point and yeah. best get them the information that they need uh, sooner than later. Um, and then I have a consultancy, uh, Jack Solar Garden Developments, where if folks uh, want my help with understanding the solar side or understanding the, the land stewardship side, people can reach out, contact me. Uh, a, a lot of it is uh, basic education, but then if there's uh, specific projects people need help on, then that's where I can be of assistance. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. You know, kind of going back to this idea of shade and the shade that could be provided by an array. It seems to me that with climate warming, you know, last year, I think this, the stat I saw said that 80% of Americans experienced a heat wave. So 80% of us live somewhere that had a heat wave. So as the temperatures rise and as those trends, you know, the temperatures keep going up, it almost seems like it would be beneficial, right? If you have some sort of livestock to have, if they're getting hotter and hotter, I don't know what the impacts are on a, I I don't know how, what temperature a cow can sustain or how long it can be out, you know, in under the direct sun. So it does seem that there's almost like a triple benefit, right? So you get the power, you get the growth or the, the um, grazing underneath, and then you get some protection as well. 100%. You're right on board. Um, I think folks have found that the more stress that uh, cows have, uh, you can taste it in their meat. And it's just stress hormones that come out. I I don't know a ton about it, but I've heard about it. Um, And then also the amount of water that they drink. If we're just hanging out in the shade, we don't drink that much water. But uh, if you're out in the middle of the sun, just sitting there, you might need to drink something. Same with a cow. Uh, So there's all those different little synergies. It seems to me like the um, prospects for rural economic development with this are, are really what kind of the meat of the issue that mm-hmm. you have this idea or this product that your, your knowledge, um, your experience that could really bring around a constituency that, you know, 10, 15 years ago was very reluctant to talk about climate change. Now, I think that you see a lot of folks in the agriculture industry who, 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 are worried, right? They're either experiencing droughts or wildfires or some other 
um, stresses on their lands, um, crop shifts and so forth. And so here you have a way to kind of be part of the solution. And I think that's really what people need. You know, nobody wants to just hear about the doom and gloom. They want to know what they can do. Yeah. And uh, hosting a solar array on your land, one that'll generate you more income. So you can have a land lease with a solar developer, make a little bit of extra money. You could even come up with a deal with them where you do the vegetation management within their solar array. So that should tack on some extra money. But then along those lines, if, you, if you're out there managing the vegetation, why not grow what you want to grow? Uh, I think they just have limitations as to the, the height of the vegetation so it doesn't shade the solar panels. But then that's also where if you have prime farmland where you're near a substation, you're near a three-phase line, that's going to make their interconnection costs a lot cheaper. So they might be more willing to put those panels up a bit higher so that you can do what you want underneath those panels. Um, you know, out here in, in Colorado, there, there's uh, folks talking about the soil revolution and, and where people are, are trying to figure out how to improve the quality of our soils, turning dirt to back to having microbial life and things that can help sequester carbon in the land. And if you, if you go down that path, imagine having solar panels above your farm where it's providing the clean energy that folks want and can make you some money. And then below those solar panels, you help to create a habitat where you can sequester carbon. And, you know, there, folks are talking about having a, um, uh, be, be it carbon taxes or carbon market or whatever else it is. But if you can show that you're, you're sequestering in your soils, mm-hmm. all the better. Like that's, yeah. you can have multiple wins on that. Plus oh, sure. having your cows that you can sell or anything along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think that that's, you know, the marketplace of ideas is something that we talk about a lot and, and you've just (laughs) rattled off a whole bunch of different marketplaces that uh, are entrance points that people could get into. And your, so your solar plant, um, your energy generation that you do, is that something that um, utility that residential folks can decide? Like, I don't want to get my power from you know, here where I am, it's Pepco or, you know, you have your utility for your area, but I actually am also signed up to do community solar. So I get a bill from the community solar plant and I get a now smaller bill from my sort of regular utility. Do people choose to get their electricity through you or is it a cooperation with the local utility? Yeah, the... Colorado had the community solar garden legislation go about back in 2010. And so the utilities had to figure out or come up with a plan to allow folks like me to own and operate a solar array, putting power back into the community. So when I, when I started this up, I learned how Excel energy would allow me to have people subscribe to my power so they could purchase my electricity. So oftentimes they were paying me up front for their electricity for five, 10 or 20 years. So that, so that I actually have money to be able to build the thing. Right. Um, and then I signed them up with Excel and now their bills are just uh, uh, lower than they were before. And then they don't owe me anything else more because they, right. they pay right. but that no, means about 50 residents subscribe five companies and then two local governments. Well, and what's really um, powerful, you know, the, this idea of energy choice and we're, you know, the, the day that you and I are talking, um, we're about to enter or that Ukraine is about to enter its second month of war with Russia. And so energy independence and energy security are some things that have been on my mind. And I think on a lot of people's minds, I look at Europe and how dependent they have 
been on Russia and how they've grown more dependent on Russia the last 20 years, not less, right? And so, you know, anything that we could be doing here in the U.S. to divest our interests in and our, you know, reliance on foreign sources of energy, I think is the right move. And then on top of that, you know, not every state is as (laughs) friendly and generous as Colorado. Ironically, the Sunshine State, Florida, is about to pass some pretty tight restrictions on its um, net metering. And to me, that's sort of crazy, right? But the utilities there don't want to lose out on the income that they're generating from their standard use uh, power generation. So um, really, really interesting dynamic. And you're lucky to live in a state that has embraced community <laughs> solar. <laughs> I, I do enjoy Colorado, but you know, thinking on Ukraine, it, it comes up, thinking on that makes me think of uh, the old saying of, you know, you, you get what you pay for. And if all you care about is cheap, cheap, cheap on things, then you're going to get dependency. You're going to mm-hmm. get whatever they give you. Uh, and then you won't have any other options. Like this whole, I, I get the economic question about things that we need things to be cheaper because it's easier for us. But if we do that all the time, then we're beholden to whoever those folks are. Yeah. And our society is creative enough to figure out how to do it. Like, yeah, it might be more expensive from time to time here and there or, or for a little while, but eventually we'll sort out how to do it ourselves. We just have to have that impetus. We got to have politicians and folks that are, are willing to uh, take that step and say, you know what, like this, this is how we're going to go about doing it ourselves and right. get people ready for a, a little bit higher price for some time. Well, you've traveled extensively. You know that we pay very little for gas compared oh, to the rest of the world. And yet, you know, everyone's been panicking about gas prices and hearing that President Biden called, you know, Venezuela to see if we could sub out for some of our our Russian oil. I'm like, what another terrible dictator, terrible government that we'll be beholden to, like, let's incentivize more electric vehicle use. Let's, you know, be doing more to uh, lift up our own innovation and our own opportunities and not um, kind of sticking with the old game plan. Absolutely. What, what's worked before won't work in the future. Just like my grandfather, he farmed hay. It worked for him. It ain't working for me. I had to make a change. And having, having that old idea and just sticking with it, uh, hell or high water, that's just being stubborn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we moved on from a horse and buggy. So uh, our executive director, Bob Inglis, likes to talk about the 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 buggy horse and buggy lobby right they didn't stop cars automobiles from being made we always have to be advancing we can't be staying in one place and especially when it comes to innovation and it sounds like you know the stuff the work that you're doing is definitely making a difference and moving the dial so to speak on making us cleaner and um you know helping ward off some of the worst impacts of climate change thanks uh, you, you think, thinking on the the horse and buggy and all that, you know, I've had uh, calls with different solar developers with with fellas that were saying, yeah, you know, I, I just left my oil and gas job and, and now I'm in solar because I see more opportunity. And, and like, I think it's just a pe- people who have been so concerned that, you know, you get rid of coal, you get rid of oil and gas, like these people aren't going to have jobs, but they're smart people. They have, like, they have plenty yeah. of capabilities to find jobs, especially if they're in project management. And it just shifts over to a new energy. So like all, all those fears are just wrapped up in nothingness. 
I know. I know. Well, I appreciate everything you do. If there are any listeners that want to learn more about your work or maybe want to um, work with you, how can they find you? Uh, JackSolarGarden.com. That's an easy way. Or find me on LinkedIn, Byron Kamenek. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time and your expertise and uh, good luck. I would love to check in with you at some point and see how things continue to go. Pleasure chatting with you, Chelsea. Price, listening to Byron talk, just, I'm not a farmer, but man, I really want solar panels. I wish I was laid back as he sounded. Man, I want solar panels too. I think it's fascinating <laughs> the, what he's doing, and I also think it's really cool. It's in Longmont, California, but I've got a, or Longmont, Colorado, where I've got a lot of relatives actually in Longmont. So next time I'm out that way, I want to stop by there. Yeah, you absolutely should. He was a great guy, great conversation, easy to talk to. Definitely had some overlap with our pal Alex Bosmoski with the. Um, develop a broad um, African develop energy development kind of work. So, yeah, yeah no, it was really interesting talking to him. And you know, I I know that I have said it before that I would love to do solar panels on my house. And um, so it's on my goal board. It'll happen someday. It will someday. Um, and someday we will have more new member signups. But this week we have several William D and Maryland. Trina R. in Indiana, Thomas H. in Michigan, and Wilma S. in Idaho. So I want to thank our new members that uh, stood and joined uh, stand with us at republican.org forward slash join. Thank you to them. Thank you, of course, Dominic, for being our guest this week. Chelsea, what do we have on tap next week? Next week, we are going to hear from Claudia McMurray. She and I have crossed careers a a couple of times in our life. So not to be a downer, but the first time I met, I had heard Claudia's name forever when I was on the Environment and Public Works Committee working um, in the early years, working for Senator John Chafee. And I was super junior and he passed away and it was, you know, it was out of the blue. So obviously we were all very sad and taken aback. And at his funeral, it was standing room only. And I sort of squeezed into this pew where I sat next to a woman who was sobbing. I was handing her tissues. And I found out later that it was Claudia McMurray and she had worked for him. So I had heard her name on the committee even before that moment where I was like, oh, you're the Claudia McMurray I've been hearing about. And then um, it turns out she also worked for my old boss, John Warner, before that point um, when the Senate was negotiating the 1990 Clean Air Act amendments. So, and she was a um, State Department employee or appointee for the um, second President Bush. So she's going to talk to us about a plethora of issues. We're going to do a little um, back sort of retrospective on what those Clean Air Act Amendment um, negotiations were like and why they did not do carbon when they were doing some of the other pollutants in that bill. Um, And she's also just going to talk a little bit about um, sort of demystify the international climate negotiations process. So really looking forward to that conversation. All right. Before we get out of here, I do want to thank uh, James Helmer, Dr. James Helmer in the um, Department of Theology at Xavier University for uh, spearheading uh, an effort to have Bob Inglis on campus uh, yesterday or slash early this week uh, in Cincinnati. Then uh, from there, Bob traveled on to uh, to Indianapolis tonight where we have our event with Casey Crane 
um, Cress and a whole bunch of others in Indianapolis at the District Tap. Excited about that. Um, so a lot of people coming together to uh, help us get back on the road and, and Bob out and about. He'll be in uh, Louisville, Kentucky slash Southern Indiana later this week. Uh, we've got some Republicans. Wait, wait, wait. Pa, I just have to interrupt you. Say that city in Kentucky again. Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, yeah. I say Louisville. Yeah, definitely not right. So if you were to go to <laughs> Louisville, when I started school at the University of Kentucky, I said Louisville. And I was corrected not long I mean, after. It sounds like you have marbles in your mouth when you say it yeah. that way. If you're a native Louisville, Louisvillian, I don't even, that's one word I can't say right there. Uh, <laughs> native of the Ville. Um, that, that would be how you pronounce it. And, and yeah, I, it took me a little bit of time. Louisville. That is the, but technically Bob will be in Southern Indiana because Bob is going to be spending the bulk of his time. The only time he'll technically be in the Ville is when he's flying out, uh, home on Thursday. So, uh, it's a big, exciting week here at Republican, especially getting back out on the road, Bob, uh, out and about seeing some of our Republicans, uh, going to, like I said, Cincinnati, then on to Indianapolis and then down to Southern Indiana where we got a field trip later in the week. Uh, we'll talk more about that next week, but yeah, it's a busy week here at Republican.org, and I'm always excited when we're out and about, you know, visiting and well, seeing people doing events in person. Man, exactly. It feels good. It's like a breath of fresh air, right? It's spring. It's time to, like, get out of our houses, but also we can travel again and do things. So it's really just um, energizing, I think, all around. And I know you've been busy, Price. You know, you produce this podcast, but you also manage all the events and all of Bob's travel to and from those events. So I think that we just all need to take a moment and give you a big applause for everything that you do to make our eco-right world go around. It's just part of my daily duties. But I'm, it's an exciting part, especially, like I've said, and like we're celebrating here, is when we are out in person. Because, daggummit, it feels like it has been a long time. And it's just something that we've all wanted where we can get to this point. No, I'm not going to say pandemic is over. It's still percolating out there. But as long as it's safe, relatively safe to get out and about and do some in-person events, we really want to try and do those at all costs. So um, we will not compromise Bob's safety, obviously, uh, in doing so. But it just is it's just as it just has more fun and it's just more effective than, you know, zooming like we did for two years. And thank God we had that technology and could do it. But I'm so glad that we can now start, uh, you know, highways, byways, um, all that stuff to to go on the road and to get into some of our key states that we're working in and trying to do some programming in. So, yeah, big, exciting right. time. So, listeners, if you have an event, reach out to Price. Like, you know, it might just happen. We're kind of at that point where we're um, really considering anything and everything. So email us or tag us on social media or DM us like we want to do your event. So yes, have drop, at it. Drop me a line. If you have an idea, you have an event, uh, anything, please let me know. We'd love to talk to you. All right, Chels, <laughs> I will talk to you next week. We will talk with our listeners next week. We appreciate everybody downloading, listen, listening and subscribing. And we'll have another episode for you next week. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Listeners. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at republicen.org. 
Make sure to visit republicen.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader. 